0: It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. We are continuing in our series of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as we have said over the past few weeks, these were radical teachings because, indeed, they were going against the ways of the flesh. And we would expect, then, that the Lord providing us the antidote to sin would give us instruction that would not be easy. In fact, it would require the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. So as we go through this study, we're now going to look at at least 24 Of the radical teachings of jesus there are quite uh, quite a few more than that but over the next few months this is where we'll be and and we're looking at particularly two right now in matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 47 we get two powerful instructions number one we're to turn the other cheek when we are attacked when something or someone has come against us How are we to respond as ambassadors for Jesus Christ? Secondly, we are to love our enemies. (laughs) Already, these are radical concepts for the human mind to consider because that's not our go-to. That is not our default by way of our sin nature. We want to retaliate. We want to take vengeance upon ourselves to enact justice rather than deflecting and turning that over to a supreme being, God Almighty, to deal deal rightly in all of these matters. That's what he will do. And as his representation here on earth... We are to be mindful then of how we're to conduct ourselves, how we deflect from ourselves, how we are to speak, and how we are to serve those around us, because we ultimately, we're here to point people to Jesus Christ. This is a very difficult assignment. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. So to hear in the studio, as always, a blessing to my heart, and I know he is to you as well. Dr. Steve Ford is back in the studio with me. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth.
0: Thank you, John. It's always great to be here. I was thinking, you know, even without the Holy Spirit's help, much less love my enemies. I have a hard time loving those who love me without the Holy Spirit's help, Uh, much less, uh, you know, in my own power. Um, I I find that even hard to do. I need the Holy Spirit just to do that, much less love my enemies. So, I mean, the things, the standard that Jesus is calling us to, obviously, these things can only be accomplished through the Holy Spirit.
1: That's right. And let me help you, our listener, understand how this works a little bit, here, because when we're talking about these radical teachings, Dr. Ford, as you just mentioned, we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to do anything that Christ is instructing us to Mm -hmm. do, because quite frankly, in the flesh, as we know the Apostle Paul spoke on this in Romans chapter 6 and into 7, he highlighted for us the near impossibility that my flesh is in contention here with the will of the Holy Spirit working in me. And so this battle will ensue. One has to then submit to the other, i.e., the flesh submitting to the working of the Holy Spirit in us. When we talk about these radical teachings, we need to consider the fact that when he tells us to do something, i.e., Jesus here, there is always a reason. For example, when we're instructed to pray and to pray without ceasing, we need to understand that there is actually science that supports this that shows that prayer impacts our thoughts and our actions. So when we pray with our spouse, there will be direct results. You create this closeness, this comfort. It improves communication and yes, even intimacy, not to mention the supernatural impact of prayer. So as a result, your relationship improves and this will in turn impact the lives of your children, the lives of those around you, your your immediate relationships there in your home, your sphere of influence, relationships at work, all of your extended family. The cascading effects are profound, So when Jesus teaches, he grabs a rock and throws it into the pond of our lives that create a ripple effect, if you will, throughout eternity. We need only to obey and to do it. But our minds will struggle with comprehending, How? wait a minute, why are you telling me to love my enemy? You're asking me to do something I can't do. Exactly. Right? Dr. Ford, to your point, only the Holy Spirit can do this. So if you wouldn't mind, Dr. Ford, would you take us back to Matthew chapter 5, and let's kick off our study as we begin in verses 38 to 42.
0: Sure. Matthew five thirty-eight to 42 reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too give to him to who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away so as you had described john in in prior episodes of the show these verses have been described by many in the following ways the hard sayings of jesus definitely Mm. the most difficult verses in the bible Mm. hyperbole and impossible and commands for another world Mm. jesus teachings here are confronting the popular misuse and abuse of the Old Testament law. As we've discussed, it was known as the lex talionis, the law of life for a life, eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth.
1: Yeah, and then the misunderstanding then of the law would say that if someone slaps you on the cheek, well, you you just slap them back, right? So after all, it is an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. So if someone sues you, you sue them back. Or if they force you to go a mile by, for example, a Roman soldier coming along and saying, you know, take my items a mile, and of course, as we see with, from the laws, the oppressors of Rome, they could do that. They could right. grab you and have them carry their items up to a mile, and here the Lord is saying, go to, right? I mean, the radical teachings, don't resist, don't fight back. So Jesus is confronting that type of misuse of his laws where they were trying to justify retaliation, justify revenge, or, or even self-defense. You've offended me. I can retaliate against you. You've hurt me. I can hurt you back. And it's not that he's refuting his law. I mean, you've already just read that this right. is something, not that they just heard or made up. But it actually goes back to the laws of God, even from the Torah. And we'll explain, hopefully in our program today, we can take everyone back a, throughout time, even through some of the dispensations of the law and how that even moved into this period of known as the, the, the time of grace or the age of the church, the church age. So you know, God wants us to take actions of personal revenge out of the equation, take it right out of our hands. So we need to turn it all over to God through his system Uh, Dr. Ford, could you just read on in verses 43 to
0: 48 for us? Sure. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
1: Yeah, amen. I actually I think that was Romans 12, 17 right. to 21 there. And uh, if we go back then, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Let me b- kind of bring it full circle here. He says, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor And hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, again, you can't do any of that without the Holy Spirit. So, getting back to the people's justification of retaliation, Dr. Ford, you said at Lex Talionis is stated explicitly three times. In the old testament. Okay, so they weren't making this up. What happened was the Pharisees were actually adding to it, they were skewing it, distorting it. They had a reputation of doing that. They had added more than a thousand laws to the laws of God, 613 ordinances. Well, they didn't think that was enough. Or they wanted loopholes, right? So they wanted to justify sin. So if the if the Bible says do not divorce, okay, then we're going to create a number of oral laws that will wrap around that, that give exceptions to the rule, that we still defined a rule, but it gives us an out in certain situations, right? So they were known for this. The Sadducees would hold only to the first five books, the Torah laws. And then the Pharisees on the other side would add a number of laws, volumes upon volumes to all of us. So again, the Lord is not refuting prior instruction of the word, He's refuting their misuse of it. So first of all, in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25, we see the lex talionis, it's cited in a way that protected a pregnant woman and her child from death or injury that might occur if two men were in a fight. I and mean, that's a good thing. And then secondly, Dr. Ford, if you could take us to Leviticus 24, there's another one that's cited in there.
0: Sure. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger, and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God."
1: Amen. Leviticus 24, 17-22 on that one. So there were seven crimes, and Dr. Ford, we talked about this last week a bit, seven crimes that called for capital punishment in the Old Testament law. So number one, if you were a false prophet, okay? Deuteronomy 13.5 tells us that that was a capital punishment-oriented crime if you were a false prophet. Number two, idolatry. We see that in Deuteronomy 17.7. So with this idolatry, there also came sacrificing children to Molech, which is condemned even unto death, stoning by by death. That that type of of use of capital punishment is cited there in Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, Even disobedience to authority in Deuteronomy 17.12, that was a capital crime. Uh, Stubborn and rebellious men who would refuse to follow the laws were also condemned to death in Deuteronomy 21.21. If you were accused and proven that you were of harlotry in Deuteronomy twenty two twenty one, even in Leviticus 20, uh, th- this specifically cites the sexual immorality of all of that. That was a condemnable offense unto death. Uh, adultery, and it seems to go hand in hand there, right? Deuteronomy twenty two twenty two to 24. Uh, and then finally, kidnapping at Deuteronomy 24, 7. So, I mean, one law would even call for flogging, such as Deuteronomy 25, 1-4. So the only example of a maiming punishment, which is quite interesting, you say eye for an eye or a tooth for tooth, was a Judges chapter 1, verses 6-7, to and we see where it tells us that then Adoni Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes, to which he says, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. So here the man who has this done to him acknowledges, well, I did this to others, so God is bringing it. Also against me, so he gets maimed, and he recognizes that there was justice of the penalty, thumb for thumb or toe for toe, <laughs> in that situation. And then, thirdly, we have Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen to twenty one, and it says here that it 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 happens to deal with uh, th- this issue of of preventing perjury and using the court to execute or punish an otherwise innocent individual. So potentially a witness could intentionally and falsely accuse someone of a capital crime and then try to use the court system to have them executed, and the individual wasn't even guilty of the crime. Okay, so they had safeguards in place there. And we see in Deuteronomy 19, 15 to 21, it concludes with, Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So, Dr. Ford, in our final minutes here, I know it gets away from us rather quickly, and you are welcome to chime in here. You and I were talking about this over the last couple weeks as we were trying to set up the narrative here behind Jesus' radical teachings that he was taking it to a whole new level, and it seems contradictory So if it's here in the Old Covenant, there was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and Christ isn't refuting that, but it seems that he's actually taking it up a notch.
0: Right.
1: And Christ's teachings did that, rather than just saying— You're not to commit adultery on your wife. He's now saying if you even look at another woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed the act. He took it right to the heart matter, something where the law kept it almost superficial. It was an outward cleansing. Now, by way of the new covenant, there's an inward cleansing, a transformation of the mind. And you think about how all of this really, uh, all the dispensations that occurred, Because prior to the flood, even, we have this rapid degeneration of humanity. I mean, from a point where they're in the Garden of Eden and everything is perfect with Adam and Eve in their fellowship with God, in the community that they had with the angelic. I mean, cherubim were sent to guard the Garden of Eden, which I believe is the first temple, quite frankly. God's there, the Holy of Holies, His presence. They're fellowshipping with the Lord. Cherubim are there tending to Him, just like in the heavenlies. It really is the first temple. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that. So you go from that point to the digression to what we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, breaking... I mean, the words that break our heart. Listen to this. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's that's a very revealing statement of the condition of man. It gets worse. Listen to this, verse 11 of Genesis 6, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence so god looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth so from a point of fellowship and perfection with god to a point where everything that moved on the earth was filled with violence and total depravity i mean it even tells us that before the coming of the law before the coming of the new covenant god was patient with mankind, according to Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 31, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. He would be the one to enable man to do as Christ instructed, or it would be the equivalent of telling a man to run as fast as he can in his own strength and try to jump over the Grand Canyon, right? I mean, that would be the equivalent of it, because man was not capable of of doing what Christ has instructed them to do. I mean, yes, they they have a responsibility to heed the direction of Christ, to do as Christ did, but we've seen it, Dr. Ford, even in our own lives, the frustration that we can have. Paul said, who will save me from this body body of of death? death.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Because it's constantly in contention with the will and way of God. And if we have a good day... (laughs) Give it 24 (laughs) hours, right? And then we see that we're already again, once again, in contention with the Holy Spirit. It just seems to be this relentless, endless cycle where even with the Holy Spirit, we fall short of the glory of God every single day. So why are they radical? Because the flesh can't do this without God enabling by himself the Holy Spirit in us to do the very things he's instructed. So in a chronological sequence of events, we have God taking the depravity of man and moving us to a place where the Holy Spirit would come after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But to do this, there had to be a people who would operate with purity according to his ways, and ultimately that would set up the stage. It would present the opportunity. Everything would be primed and ready for the coming Messiah that would ultimately, through his word, transform the entire world. That's why they call these the dispensations, if you will, because there's Really, if you think about it, the first dispensation of innocence lasts only between Genesis chapter one, starting in verse twenty eight all the way through chapter two, verse seventeen doesn't last very long. Uh, the rules were simple: replenish the earth with children, subdue the earth, have dominion over the animals, care for the garden, and abstain from eating the tree of the knowledge of uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil right That was it. Those were the only instructions that they were given, and they can't even do those,
0: yeah, Tim <laughs> Keller says that they had the shortest Bible ever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right, and, and, and we that, still
0: couldn't do it. <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah, we just see the heart of men. I mean, even with the, the simplest of laws, and you have the, the dispensation of conscience, and that lasted about sixteen hundred and fifty-six years from the time of Adam and Eve's eviction from the garden until the flood. And, and you see some of the instructions that come, and yes, even the consequences for the sin that came with those disobedient acts. Then you have a third dispensation of human government, the Nohide 7, as they're often called, because God wanted to set up a new form of governance to ensure that the world would not look as it did before the flood again. Even the preservation of life that's listed there, let me give you those in in the order that I'm given here. It says that God will not curse the earth again, number one, uh, at least not destroying it by way of water, uh, Noah and his family are to replenish the earth with people. They shall have dominion over the animal creation. They are allowed to eat meat. The law of capital punishment is established, and there will never be another worldwide flood. The sign of God's promise will be the rainbow. We get these instructions that are clearly outlined in the book of Genesis there. And then you have this dispensation of the promise, and we we see that from Abraham, and the promises that God gave to Abraham called the Abrahamic Covenant. And we see a number of those outlined throughout scriptures and and all the blessings that come with that. Then you get the dispensation of the law that lasts about 1,500 years from the Exodus all the way to Jesus Christ, followed by the dispensation of grace that lasts now almost 2,000 years and counting. We don't know the end of that, but it will culminate. In the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, where he will rule for a thousand years. So, when we look throughout all of this history, then we see how the dispersion of the laws of God, morality, would ultimately bring the world out of barbarism and into a state of civil advancement like no other time in recorded history. And now, Dr. Ford, quite frankly, it frustrates me when I looked at these science books or history books and, and all the theory that is not supported by anything, where they say that mankind has been on the earth for 200,000 years, 300,000 years, but yet all recorded history of man is 6,000 years or less. That's it. We're not as old as we think we are. In fact, it's the Bible and its ingredients for what law is. Civil order, civil law, the governance of men, all of that came out of the Word of God. We got to remember that the story of the Bible being translated, uh, it, it, even in the Gothic, and we look to the 4th century AD and its translation into English, which didn't happen until the 14th century, when the Bible, through the missionary of Ulfius, he was born in 311 AD, when he goes to these Germanic tribes, they didn't even have an alphabet in the 4th century AD. So to give them the gospel, he has to first give them an alphabet, help them write it so that he can communicate the truths of God's holy word. And we see ultimately, because of all the workings of the missionaries, we find that at the end of the Middle Ages, America would be discovered less than a century after the English Bible was translated to push to civilize the barbaric cultures of the Germans and the Angles you know, they were to turn the angles into angels, right? And so because of the Bible's push to go into these uncivilized cultures, it fundamentally transformed everything. It gave them law and order, and ultimately would pave the way that by way of the Holy Spirit, they could do what was impossible for the flesh of men to do. And today, Three of the top five largest economies and most influential nations of the world were transformed because the Bible came to these people. We have the United Kingdom, the United States, and Germany, just to name a few. So the Bible has fundamentally transformed everything, i.e. the instructions of God that has now paved the way for what we're reading now, what Christ Jesus gave them that was so radical because it was changing everything from the barbaric barbarism of ancient civilizations, of murder and heinous acts, to being able to represent God himself with compassion and justice, with mercy, and ultimately with patience, right? right? Which does not come easy for any of us. So when we look at these radical teachings of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that even today, we now have the responsibility of everything that has been conveyed over all of these centuries uh, th- even these past 2,000 years, it now rests on us as ambassadors for Christ. We should be preaching the best sermons we've ever preached. We have more knowledge now today of all of the understanding that God has revealed to men more than any other time in human history. And yet we find ourselves doing very little to be the salt and light that God has called us to be. So, Dr. Ford, we are setting up the backdrop now of some of these radical teachings of turn the other cheek, loving our enemy. We've got a lot more to cover next week. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. So we want to thank you, all of our listeners, for tuning in each and every week. The time goes by so quick. If you'd like to listen to this broadcast or the prior broadcast in this series of the Radical Teachings of Jesus Christ, please go and visit us at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.